Welcome to Make It Happen. My name is Tom Dalton. Each episode will have an inspiring guest tell their story of overcoming obstacles, never settling, and making it happen. Don't forget to share, subscribe, and review. So grab a coffee. Hope you enjoy the pod. Let's go. Okay, so welcome to Make It Happen. Uh, my name is Tom Dalton. I'm delighted to say we're on episode number 55. We're, we're like on the rewind here, Connor, but um, we just had to restart again. But we're back in person, back live, which I'm delighted to say so. And as I mentioned before, my next guest is Connor Buckley, and my intro is going to do him no justice, but we're going to get into his story. A little bit about Connor's background. He's an activist, he's a keynote speaker, and he's the founder of award-winning, sustainable, and inclusive clothing brand, Human Collective. So I'm really excited to hear all about that. But we're going to start at the beginning, Connor. So Connor, welcome. How are you, sir? I'm great, thanks. Honoured to be here, Tom. Great to see you again. Uh, thanks, buddy, for jumping on. I really much appreciate it. Um. As we do with most guests, if we talk childhood growing up, talk to us a little bit about that. Yeah, so I came from a really loving household. We grew up in uh, Dundrum there. Um, and I have great memories of just being, you know, I guess being able to go out and play whenever you want. I know where everyone's a bit more protective of their kids these days. Um, my mum, uh, Christine Buckley, we'll probably talk about her a bit later on. She was an activist, a campaigner. Um, for someone who never had parents, uh, she was the most you know loving mum you could you could ever meet. She was full of hugs and full of love. Um, she every day when you'd see her, when you come home from school, she'd hug you like you'd never see you again. So it was pretty special. Um, and then my dad is a great uh, is a really great person. Well, he's an absolute gent. Like it's funny now whenever I meet someone. Uh, who might be um, know my dad, and I'd say his name or whatever. They'd be like, "He's an absolute gent," and he really is like this figure of like integrity so he was a really um you know he wouldn't be as you know affectionate as a lot of the men of, of that day are but he would be unbelievably supportive so growing up he would have come to all my soccer matches all my rugby matches all the athletics and he just was you know a quiet kind of supporter in the background there and uh my brother dara um you know still to this day one of my best friends growing up i feel like i was unbelievably blessed to have someone like that because we look different to people in the playground and he was again hugely supportive of anything that I did uh, and my sister clean as well she's like a second mum uh, incredibly caring got a huge heart Were you the baba? Uh, yeah I was the baby uh-huh. so I was definitely spoiled <laughs> like, like myself <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and um uh yeah it was, a, it was a lot of love in the family so like I look back in those times they, I think you know my family would have given us everything but they would have made us appreciate I think having something so nothing was really like gifted to you in a way of like we were we were spoiled with love but not spoiled with like i guess superficial gifts and that type of stuff you know um you know the fam my family would have would have encouraged us to work as well from an early age like i got my first job at 13 working in a summer camp there up by um near strabrook there actually in strabrook rugby club teaching coaching soccer and rugby and uh well, most of the time filling water bottles at the start. <laughs> and um, and and they would have just encouraged that type of thing, that independence. Yeah. And um, it, it came over very naturally. Like, it was never like, you know, get out and get out and work. But like, any time you weren't going to get money, money out otherwise. There wasn't yes. going to be like this massive amount of pocket money given out to you. So, you know, you got out and worked. So we all, my sister, my brother and I all got out and worked and it was good. My folks worked really hard as well and we saw that. So they were great examples to us. And Connor, you mentioned sports growing up there. It sounded like you were athletics, rugby, soccer. That's obviously a big part of your life. 
was education big like in the home or was it pushed there yeah, good or was question it? yeah like so my mum like your wife um is a nurse so so i think that was something that we knew she would have worked really hard to, to be a nurse a bit of a vocation you know you worked you worked hard and you probably didn't get the financial or road rewards that you'd probably deserve and my dad would have worked hard as a journalist as well so we would have seen them work hard and my mum would have always spoken about my dad being really intelligent actually she would have always complimented him on this and he was very he's a really modest guy so he'd never go on like that but my mum spoke about that a lot so we i guess there was that onus, you know, get your homework done before you go out and play. There was also, um, my sister was really bright as well. I was really bright. So, you know, she set a good example. My brother as well would have been, so everyone would have been, yeah, you would have been pushing yourself a little bit, but there wasn't massive academic pressure. You don't you need know? to get grades or was it like get a job or? Yeah, it was, I think it was being well behaved and treat people well. And my mum would have been honest with me about things. Like I remember, um, I remember going, why aren't we going to the school up the road? It was closer to us. And she said, you know, Connor, if you're top of the class, you do really well there. But if you're not, you wouldn't. And you're not top of the class. And she was pretty honest. Wow. So growing up, she actually really would have treated me like an adult. Like she would have had conversations as if I was an adult talking about things. It was kind of unusual. Like I'd even we come in, like so we came in from discos. I'd stay up till her t- t- with her to like 2 or 3 a.m. talking about things. So it was always, it was always, you know, a really interesting lear- learning curve. In some ways, Tom, you know the way in certain working class communities, the, the kids kind of grow up a bit more streetwise because the parents treat them a little bit more like adults or whatever. I don't know. Yeah. I, I never really con- spoken about this. But so there's that type of like conversation in the house. My mum would have told me about like her mates getting divorced and this happening, this happening. So from an early age, you're kind of a little bit more, I think a little bit more streetwise in some ways. Um, and do you think that was Connor? Her looking long term at, uh, yeah. Let's let's educate them on real life, real people, and what's out yeah, there. Yeah, maybe, or maybe she was, <laughs> maybe she was gossiping. Fear. Know, yeah, no, <laughs> no, yeah, I don't know. Like you know, even like we say, so say for example, Tom, her, she would have been like um, beaten badly in the in the in, an or, in the orphanages. So we would have seen like the, the cuts in her legs, and we would have seen like the scars in her legs. And we would have said, like, what happened to you? She would have said, I fell off my bike when I was younger. She said, no, a nun poured boiling water over my leg when I was younger, and my or she'd say like I was beaten eating badly and my leg burst open so she didn't hold back on things and I think it's at night and in some ways it's a kind of a good way to treat your children you don't feel like the world is full of like absolute beauty but then you're not scared we weren't scared shitless either so the whole idea I think for her was just to be honest you know and be very transparent about things and Um, Connor just on that if I know a, a small bit about your mother but talk to us a little bit about her growing up and how she became an activist and I suppose the impact she had. Yeah, so she would have exposed the abuses in the Catholic Church in the, in the I guess, it from the 60s, 70s, 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, um, 90s, and she would have exposed it in 1992 in the Gay Burn Show. And at the time, like, can you imagine how difficult that would be being a female, being a black woman, woman of colour? And then you've got this idea that, like, the Catholic Church in the 90s, I mean... I mean, homosexuality was outlawed at that stage when she came out and kind of, um, I guess, opened up the can of worms on it. So she was up against a really difficult period in Ireland. Plus, my dad would have been quite conservative. He would have been obviously protective of the family. So 
um, for her to do it, I even now I'm thinking, wow, like the strength and bravery she would have had to do that. And then to continue on doing it until like up till 2011 when the Ryan report basically vindicated to over 100,000 children who've been in these industrial schools, these basically orphanages. Um, so the physical, sexual, mental abuse that these children would have gone through. And I think it's harder now sometimes to think about that, Tom. You've got one child and, and a second on the way because you picture these innocent children being in that situation. So... I mean, today is actually probably not a bad day for me because sometimes when I tell that story of in the past, we're just saying those lines. I'd find that really upsetting to try and, you know, visualize these innocent children getting like beaten up basically, you know, for nothing, nothing. you know. So the reality for her life was she had, she, she grew up in a really difficult period. She tried to say it to them. She actually is part of her counseling. She wanted to confront one of the nuns in particular who did all, a lot of this abuse and the nun came back with a really um, scathing uh, letter back to her. And that's when she went and exposed it all. Wow. So she went through a lot of hardships to do that. But I think, um, yeah, was, she was a tremendous role model for us. But to stand up for what you believe in um, and, to st and to stand up for others as well, not just for yourself, you know. She's, listen, from you, just the hairs are in the back of my neck, you explain that story. But like, growing up, like maybe in your teens, was, was it just being amazing to be beside someone like that or how powerful she was or was it was it difficult and challenging what was that experience like yeah, for you yeah a question um, do you know what it's like a lot of things when you're in the thick of it you probably don't take it all in I do yeah. remember like coming out one day in school and going to the shop and seeing her on the front page of loads of papers I remember thinking because the, the nun was exposed then and I remember thinking, God, geez, that's a bit mad. But I guess we're just really proud of her. I mean, yeah. I'd be nervous for her to go on radio shows or talk shows. I remember she was on Pat Kenny. And I remember being really nervous and saying, are you nervous before? You know, and she said, no, not at all. And I remember thinking, like, you know, you know you're know, you an RT and you're going, but you're about to go on for live on TV now. And she said, I'm just talking from the heart there. Why would I be nervous? And she was ultra calm and composed, as if she'd been, like, She'd been doing it all her life, but she said, "I'll never be nervous. I'm just telling the truth." So that was quite um, quite powerful. And uh, um, in general, she just she probably did things. She, I guess, when you've been through what she'd been through, in some ways, you've not nothing to lose because you're there going, like what, like you know, you've had such a tough life there. You don't really look at the. I don't know the repercussions in some ways, you know, like it's like you've you've nothing to you've nothing to you've nothing to lose in a way. So like her just coming out telling the truth there, um, I'm sure she was worried about our her family, and she did get l unbelievable positivity back. And obviously the phone lines lit up that day when she did start telling her story. Um, but she also got people who'd buried what what they'd been through, and in a mad way, Tom, they had come back and said things like. Um, I buried this story my family don't know that I was adopted or that I was in an orphanage and now you brought it to life I hate you so she got like okay. negative so stuff so it wasn't well. all positive yeah, yeah. some people don't want to bring that up you know and you have to understand that that's the best way they can deal with it and would it have she seems so pure that from, from everything you're saying it's, it's, it's so truthful and honest and from the heart and it seems real pure would you have seen that negatively affect her or was she um, on such a mission where she wanted to explain her yeah, story? Good question. Like I think I think it took its toll maybe in the end, maybe maybe the drain of it all. Um I think when she set up her centre. So she set up the centre and, and, and lots of people would have come from all over Ireland to the centre, um, who'd basically 
you know, it was a home away for home, home and away. You would come in, you know, you'd have your cup of tea or lunch, but then you'd also have, there was lots of educational class. So people who wouldn't have known the alphabet, Tom, at the age of 50 would have come in and learned the alphabet. And then some people went on to like brilliant careers and as artists and actors and wow. amazing. Like one guy came in, he said, I shouldn't be in here. I never should have come in. And she said, I think you'd be great in the drama class. He was like, what's drama? And he's actually done stuff with Colin Farrell since then. Wow. So like, like, wow. so I think those like he's written a book about it. Those life changing experiences made her feel really good. But again, she was ex- exhausted from being in there as well. Like I remember she'd come home and you'd, you know, she'd, you know, be drained. yeah, you'd be drained. And I've been in there, and it is tough because, um, people have had horrendous lives and they want to tell their story. So she would have been, yeah, she would have been, would have been taking it's tiring in some ways. But another way that was her family. I mean, she had great crack in there as well, you know. So when you go into that centre, the um, it's in town. It was well, it was in town. It's moved it to Dundrum. Like it's kind of like you see how people how how difficult lives have been. Like you can see it in their faces, the people what they'd been through, you know. Mm. So um, well, it's the thing I've learned from this conversation so far is the amount of life she's changed and inspired and helped and supported is I'd say you couldn't even count the numbers the amount yeah. she impacted yeah that's pretty special I think that would, that's what she'd love her legacy to be um, that yeah I think that would, she'd, that's what she'd love brilliant uh, listen this whole podcast I don't want to feel about <laughs> your mum it's, it's, it, it could be we could yeah, do a full, yeah, full day yeah, I'm yeah. sure um, just one last thing on your mother you have three kids now yeah Um have you noticed you mentioned the hugs and the love mm. from your mom would you notice some traits definitely, you're doing your yeah, kids yeah definitely yeah definitely like um it's that hugging them like it's their last every day uh yeah yeah big time and actually you know at some stage you know they love it at the moment they they actually went through you know they can go through stages of not loving it especially the little fella because he was you know he's absolutely obsessed with Lauren his mum um but now when you come in from work and they hug you like like you just feel like those hugs are so special you know and uh and I do to picture my mum because that's what it was like and I don't get to the stage where they don't want to hug you you know and yeah. you have to accept that as well but um yeah that type of that type of love and like listening to them and playing with them and that type of stuff you know um, that definitely does. Like, that does remind me, of and it's really that's the, probably the saddest, the only sad thing about having the kids is the fact that she's not there to because she would have loved them, especially because they've got curls like her. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Um, so just if we jump forward to uh, leave insert, was college next for you, yeah. or what was the next step yeah, in your journey? So, so went into UCD and I studied history and information studies, and I kind of realized. I mean, you know, when you're in. I did psychology in the first year. I was always really interested in people and behavior. Um, only 35 people out of 500 go on to f- finish the, the psychology. Wow. And I pretty much realized I wasn't going to be in the top 35. Okay. I think um, I think it was like 32 girls got in and three lads. So, um, and I realized also that like, you know, I wasn't going to find it really easy to, to, to get a 2-1. I wanted to get a 2-1 on both subjects. So I, I was pretty studious in a sense of like, you know, when I was there, I was at the front. Like, it wasn't like kind of trying to be cool at the back. And I hung around a lot of mature students coming up to exams <laughs> to help me out. And uh, and to be honest with you, uh, I got to end up getting a 2-1, which looking back, and it was pretty good because I was pretty focused on other things as well at the time. Um, so I was happy enough just to finish. I remember finishing that last paper. 
and going, that's the last exam I ever want to do, really. And uh, my mum and dad were over the moon because I know they would have realised that the wooden didn't have come, like those two ones didn't come easy, you yeah. know. And um, I was really, like I enjoyed history, um, but neither subject... I went on to do Anton Moran. So it's funny, like you, you, you know, you work hard for all those years, but like for what I ended up doing, neither subject. One thing it teaches you is a bit of discipline, you yeah, know, yeah. and getting through and that, and that's important to do. Um, cause those, that resilience kind of stays with you a little yeah. bit, you know? Um, Connor, was it like, I want to go travel now or I want to get a job or start oh, my own thing? Yeah. What was, what was yeah, next? And then the traveling thing never got to okay. me at all. Um, like I still to this day I've never really travelled like so I did sorry I've done a J1 for two months in the summertime um, so what happened next was I started running th this Commerce and Economics Society in UCD and at the time that was a really dominant thing in college like nowadays it do it, it isn't you know okay. college societies isn't maybe it's a bit cringe now I don't okay. know but it's not a big deal um, back then it really was and what I wanted to do was um run the society and get experience because I wanted to run it like it was like a business in a way to get experience of all that side of things and and I, I loved running a nights and events so I started running these events and that led to running events in nightclubs and that led to opening up a nightclub and led to hospitality and opening up restaurants and bars and hotels okay. so it you know you couldn't you couldn't picture that back in the day yeah but like one of the guys who was in college with me uh, a guy called actually two of the guys a guy called Paddy McKillen and Matt Ryan both those lads were in college with me and they would have seen me doing a lot of the promotional work. So they approached me like and did you 10 years later. Gab, like when you mentioned promotion, like was it I was, hard or easy to uh, yeah, get people through the door? I remember, I remember wanting to get involved in this society only because I, tickets used to sell out really quickly. And okay. I said to the, like, the main guy, I said, I sold this event, sold out, and I can need to get tickets. And he goes, you can put up posters, but everyone can put up posters. What else can you do? And I was like, well, um, I'm, I'm, I was looking around at the committee and there were all these people who thought they were a bit cool. So I can walk into any, I'll make a fool of myself in this lecture hall. And I'd walk down in front of 500 people and I'd talk about the event. And uh, if you asked me to do that now, I probably wouldn't be delighted to do it. Mm -hmm. But um, back then, I was- But this I, before I, social media? Yeah, okay. yeah. And there was a bit of a lack of self-awareness there. So I'd put on wigs and all sorts of stuff and do it and go walk down and I'd promote events. And he was like, cool. So he started giving me free tickets and I started getting involved with the next guy to help promote. And then, then I started running it myself. And yeah, I was always happy enough to do that because I always I try and find things that other people are uncomfortable to do and, and maybe do them yourself. But you'd be great at it as well, Tom. You know, you've no problem getting up in front of a, an audience and talking. And that's what that's what I was really doing. And, and it's funny, 10 years later, the guys that were in that college and in, in that in one of the lecture halls were like approaching me about setting up um, Everly which was an iClub, and then subsequently the Dean and Sophie's and wow. all, like they've like 70, proper, 70 businesses then. Um, so was that, if if you call it an entrepreneurial bug or your business bug, but was that your like step into yeah, doing your yeah. own thing? Yeah, exactly, yeah. And like still to this day, you know, we did a pop-up shop in the Marina Market in Cork two weeks ago. Still to this day, a bit like yourself, I just love chatting to people. So, I mean, I was pretty, I was pretty more... I probably get a bit of a got a high out of it years ago. I, you know, I still get a bit of a buzz out of it. Even when people come into the, we were shopping Stevens Green there, still get a bit of a buzz out of chatting to people. Like yeah. I really do. I never. Some people find it really exhausting, and I found it enjoyable, especially on the nights out when we were standing around, like we were in Sophie's or with DJs on or whatever, and people would come up and they chat to you and like and generally. I like hearing about people's lives so I come my, my wife would say to me <laughs> like I would I would go out with our little baby Georgie like two nights ago I went out 
she was kind of really uncomfortable. It was like half seven in the evening. I said, I'm just going to go out for a walk with her. Didn't even put her in the sling. I walked the road. I met loads of people around the neighbourhood. So I just go up and chat to people. So my wife would be like, she'd come back. Where, where were you for an hour? I took her gone out for five minutes. She's breastfeeding. So, you know, the baby might be here. <laughs> and she said, do you know? And, I, and I'd say, oh, I met this person. I met this person. I met this person. I didn't like realise. I talked to the wall. Yeah, it's just like, I, yeah. Yeah. So it's always been a kind of natural thing. And my mum was the same. And, uh, and I of like you know genuinely you always someone has always something interesting to that you probably learn. Mm. So I always enjoyed that part of it, and like that became, that probably became. It's funny because that probably became the, I wouldn't say my best trait, but it's just something that I did a lot. You can never measure that, yeah. you know, in a way, and you never know if um if you're being annoying or not or whatever it is. But I always that was just always the way I was, yeah. So if we talk steps, so college nights. Yeah eventually led to a nightclub and I don't want to gloss over that because I'm sure there was ups and downs yeah. to how that happened yeah. and came about talk to us just a little bit about the nightclub scene then and like well yeah now idea. it's dead which is okay, mad yeah. you know so now it's like I met a woman there who I used to work for in D2 nightclub and um, she's she reeling in the ears now yeah, me here, all the old school spots yeah. she said you know I shouldn't say that but she said like it's not what it was you yeah. know and people don't want to sacrifice First of all, the the, the the generation now don't want to be out till four or five a.m. like they were before, um, and people don't really want to sacrifice working late like myself, my friend did. Like we, myself and a guy called Brian O'Malley, he's subsequently great lad. He's excuse me, still one of my best mates. We would have set up Crystal at the time and yeah. gone on to set up a couple of different like Crystal's still going today. Yeah, yeah. Crystal, yeah. that's good to see it still going. To be fair, you know, because really proud of that. And at the time, it was great. We were growing up in it as well. So it was along the time like that, you know, I guess there was a great buzz around town and people were goal going to, a lot of the people were going to the kind of same locations. The rugby team were doing really well, which was kind of, kind of coinciding with the club doing really well and they used to all come in. So it was great fun. You know, at the time we we, we grey crack and all our mates used to come in and, uh, you know, I remember Robbie Keane coming in, bringing in the Irish soccer team after they qualified for the Euros in 2012. So there was all that type of buzz yes, going on. Yeah. So there was always, you know, it was it organic or yeah, was it? It didn't yeah. seem like okay. it didn't seem like hard work. Okay. At the time, the nights were tough as in yeah. you wake up tired, um, till you know six a.m. finishes. But it all seemed like we're literally just having fun. Um, and from the outside, Connor would have people been looking at you and going from their perspective, he's the best life ever. All he does is. I think there's two perspectives okay. looking back, and I think some people say he's the best life ever, and some people go, "Geez, your man, look at him working on the door in that hell." Because we did, we gave up every single weekend, Tom, as yeah. well. We might have taken two weekends off a year yeah. for maybe weddings or something. So there was a lot of there's that sacrifice. It didn't seem like a mass sacrifice yeah. for me, but it's only when I started recruiting people to do the nights that they were like, "No way, I'm not doing nights." And I was like, "They get burnt out, probably." Yeah, yeah, like it's one night a week or whatever. When I ever started, I was doing like three or four nights a week, but I loved it. Um, what happened was though when when Brian left Crystal because he just wanted to get out of that that whole scene he was he set up a pub um the bar pub, uh, it, it the buzz for me went a bit and that loneliness kind of came in so I needed to nearly move on and Paddy McKillen approached me I was like yeah absolutely let's do something um and was that hard to step away from or had you done your time probably done her my okay, time yeah but but what I realized is when I stepped away from press up after ten years. That that was really hard. Okay. I un I probably underestimated how difficult that would be because I was, I wouldn't say institutionalized, but I was really passionate about setting up those venues, and as I said, really enjoyed working with, um, a lot of the team in press up. So I found that really hard, and and I think going into an, you know, sustainable clothing, something that I'd no experience in, I found that really lonely. 
and I had no idea. Actually, I did have one idea because a guy approached me with a business before that I worked with a great guy called Barry Plunkett. Do you remember Barry? You might have met him before and he set up a business and he wanted me to come in and he was offering equity and everything and I was like, you know, I loved working with Barry and he goes, and I said, you you really want me on board so much? He's like, yeah, it's pretty lonely. It's pretty tough on your own and I, and, and he wouldn't be the type of person to say that because, you know, he's pretty focused on his, you know, on the business and his business was going great for him and it still is and, um, and I get it. I get it. Like, it wasn't, it's not about, sometimes it's not about the money or not mm-hmm. about the, how many people are attending it's about the buzz you have it like your it's team relationships, yeah. yeah so I so when Brian left Crystal the buzz went for me and Barry actually left Preston before me and that was even a little bit funny when Barry left because we were so close so those relationships are really important and and even now with Human Collective like I have a really great mate work with me a guy called Peter Dowling and you know the last two days we've been in the office in the, you know in, in the shop in Stephen's Green and it's it's great fun working with him. It's brilliant. Like it really is. We've some we've some laugh, you know. And you enjoy it. Yeah, yeah. And like Peter doesn't own any of the business now. Like we're, you know, Brian and I, you know, owned owned the business together, and 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 Barry and I were very much equals, you know. Um, but Peter's just, you know, he's just it's great. He's, he cares, which is huge. He understands. We understand each other. Our limitations, our our qualities. He can rip it out of me for like, you know. <laughs> Buying product that doesn't sell, or whatever, you know what I mean. And he can, you know, he can, you know, he can he'll let you know. Yeah, he can let you know. And he's and he's at, he's not like we've got somebody really passionate on sustainability, but people are really passionate on diversity and inclusion. And he's, you know, a white male who hasn't been touched by either subject, so he kind of gives a different voice as well. So it's important that uh, to have that. So uh, yeah, I never actually, I never really talk about Peter, but not in a sense like that. But it's actually brilliant having him like that, you know. Yeah. Um. Because tough you, times, you can have a laugh as well. You know, when things aren't going well. And uh, Connor, I think it's refreshing because I don't think a lot enough people talk about that side of things. Of they they say this oh, own your own business, being an entrepreneur, or whatever. It's so great. It's this, that, that. But as you say, it can be quite lonely. Yeah, definitely. If I just rewind for a sec and just, just if any listeners, what was press up? What did it go into? Oh yeah. Just before I mean, we jump yeah, into human because collective, because you know what, I, I, I've done one or two, couple of talks in companies and about resilience. And one of the things is, look, we can talk about human collective, but actually sometimes the press up thing is actually more. Um, I, I don't know. People identify with it more because most people, not most people. Most people have heard of Sophie's after Swingate or whatever it is. I've been on the swings. I've been up in the roo- you know rooftop restaurant. So Press Up was, you know, when I first came, it was maybe two or three venues. And now it's 70 venues. Wow. And to be there from the pretty much from the start to go Ground all zero. the way with us, yeah, was pretty amazing. And, like, we got stuck in, you know. So it was hard work. It was We lived in the Dean Hotel. Like, we didn't just nine to five it and I, I think for anyone who's looking at an, to be an entrepreneur or whatever it is I don't even like the word sometimes yeah. entrepreneur it's a bit flashy or something yeah, but like yeah. the reality is, is that like you won't get the business off the ground in nine to five I don't really think you can and I think that's really difficult when you've got people like yourself and myself who are, who are family men really you know mm. we want to be around our children you really the reality is something someone there's a loss at some some area and that might be the loss to your family or seeing them growing up or there's a loss to your business you know and and the reality is there you've got to make a decision of who you are. And I didn't realize how much I'm so blessed to have a family, but how much I would want to be around my family. You know, I see guys who want to get out at 7 a.m. or 6 a.m. to get away from their family yeah. or can't, you know, they can't wait for Monday to be back in work to get away from their family. I find Mondays actually nearly sad. Like, I actually find it sad. I, if you told me that I'd find it sad, I'd be like, no way. Yeah. And I have a mate who can't wait to get out of the driveway, have his first coffee, and go, oh, 
you know. Tomorrow, yeah. yeah, and he's a good dad to be fair to him, you know. But I, I actually find it really sad. Yeah. Like I find Monday's tough going because you've had that high and actually you you've had so much fun with the kids and then they're nearly not gonna see you for a lot of the week then. So um And time is fine and it goes very quick, yeah, it's especially yeah. Robin grown up, it's just it goes so quick. That's the one thing I've noticed. It's like Oh, she's stretching. She's she's shooting up. Like, what's actually happening? How how's that gone so by so quick? Yeah, definitely. Um. So so Connor, press up happened. Ground you. Massive amount of venues around the mm. whole country, um, but you said you know what I want to do my own thing. Clothing. Where did that come from? Yeah, it's a great question. Even sometimes I ask myself <laughs> that. So, um. March twenty twenty lockdown happens, um. Our first boy was born, and I don't. When when Robin came along, it just changed in a little bit, Tom, in a way. To twenty fifth of May, twenty twenty, two months later, George Floyd is murdered, and I started. I spoke to my brother; he was really upset by it, and all of a sudden, I started reaching out to black people just to see, because you know, my brother was really upset to see how they were, and it was like incredible mourning. And I felt like I wanted to do something that had just a bit more of a purpose. I continued on with press up for the year. And come come January, I decided that against lots of things, gut gut feeling, and you know, and you know, you know, you're paid well by a company, and you're all of a sudden you're you're leaving it. I want to do something that just had a bit more of a purpose to it than just, I guess, filling venues, which is still a big deal and mm. still still is great. But I wanted that. I was really fascinated with the behavioral science, why people hate, why people discrimination exists and prejudice. So I started working on a documentary at RTE. And we got quite far with it, actually. But then, I don't know why, because I wasn't in the con control uh, area, but the production company said, look, they pulled it, uh, even though they gave initial funding for it. Um, the reality if, what for me was I was okay with that because, you know, I, I was... The whole idea was to learn more, and we started working with social psychologists about understanding that. And... I found this amazing lady in America who had this, who talked about like there's only one race, the human race, and the idea for me was that, God, that message hadn't really been sp spread enough. Like I was used to refer my, to myself as mixed race. When you divide people into races, you actually ultimately divide people. So yeah. Asian people are are a different race, black people are a different race, and and one of our team members went on this journey of discovery to America, and he met a woman who lost her mum because she had they didn't have black blood in the hospital. This is only sixty years ago, Tom. Like to think that, wow. our, uh, yeah, so the idea that she lost her mum because they couldn't do a blood transfusion because they only had white blood, which is just bananas. Wow. These are medical professionals. So this whole idea of different races really bothered me. And I want, I saw this woman had this jumper on that talked about there's only one race, the human race. And I, I, and I thought it was a nice meshing, but I knew no one would buy that because um, it was just so strong. And the quality looked terrible and everything. And I said, well, you know, when you put this, the, when you put an important message on a jumper that's crap quality, that really bothers me because that kind of devalues the message. So our whole idea was to elevate that message and do it on a on a really really comfortable premium jumper, but would have which have a bit more, um, I guess, sustainable credentials. And that was just to just to make sure that people felt like we weren't saying the human race is important, but here we go making really bad mm. quality products that is that's wasteful and used uses chemicals and that type of thing so we wanted to make sure that it was ethical and sustainable and that people got a fair wage for making the product and then what i realized during this is that when you're getting people we did some research groups when you're getting people to believe in a message you can't avalanche them with it because people are at their different journeys and some people aren't affected by it so we wanted to just do an equal sign 
And the whole idea of the equal sign was just a subtle message. And that would be people's first step towards a stronger messaging in the future. And we're working on a campaign at the moment that will have stronger messaging. And we found that most people would buy into that idea of like, yeah, I'm okay with supporting equality at this level, but the next step might be something else. And the next step might be going to a march. It doesn't have to be buying a human collective jumper. The next step could be watching a documentary mm. and, and, or maybe buying a book or reading an article. And the idea for that is that, that you're subtly, I guess, changing people's mindset or not even changing people's mind, opening people's mindset okay. or making people a bit more curious about certain things. And that's not just to do with the color of people's skin. That's to do with gender equality, um, opportunity equality. Um, racial equality was something that touched me, but I wanted to make sure that we, we covered other areas. Um, and that's why even with our ch charity partnerships, we, you know, we donate back to the Irish Youth Foundation and provides a hot meal to disadvantaged children. We provide money to the LGBT Ireland. So every time someone buys a jumper, it um, it provides 50 minutes free talk time and an LGBT helpline. Wow. So some of those things were, were, we wanted to make sure that we weren't just talking to talk, that we're walking the walk. You're backing it up. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, you know, I think when you go through really tough challenges in business, um, if you don't have a real kind of purpose, you'd really just stop. Like, because, it, look, you know yourself, there's enough challenges to go, yeah. why am I doing this? Yeah. But, I, and I also realized that you really have to build a team that has those type of values in mind because when it comes to we had a really good, really good team meeting today and we're, you know, we're brainstorming things and you've got people that are clued in or that kind of have your kind of moral compass or, or have a moral compass. It just drives the right direction yeah. of the business and and it's difficult to find that, you know. Yeah. Um, it seems like from the what you just said, Connor your mission is there and the values and, uh, of the brand. Was it difficult going from concept, idea, team to actually getting physical Definitely, product? Yeah, was that really challenging? tough. And it still is. Okay. Actually, today we've done a huge amount on product and that's actually probably our weakest, not our weakest, but no one, everyone's doing different things and it, you know you can forget about that and all of a sudden your Christmas is coming and you're like, Jesus, where, where are we with this? Um, that is constantly the most difficult thing and it's because manufacturers, one, if you're not really putting in big minimum quantity orders, so M MQOs is what they call it, you know. They just want volume. Yeah, they want volume yeah, and okay. they don't want to work with you. And the last minute, a lot of them will try and change it back to a cheaper material, you know. And you find that, like, I've, I've got stuff sent from Italy, even like Portugal, like good, great countries. And all of a sudden they'll tell you, like, you know, the first six months will be all, you know, organic cotton or recycled plastic or whatever it is and then last minute they'll change it back to like just regular polyester or whatever mm. it is and you're going oh my god this was a non-negotiable yes. where in the ch chain of communication has this changed for you and they go we don't want to work with you anymore and they'll fire wow. me yeah wow so that's a constant real excuse me it's an education <clears throat> it as really, well yeah it really is and we're still learning on that like there's one girl in the team who's who's really on the clued in on sustainability because um and she'll find different brands that do things really well. And, you know, she'll find things that, like, Patagonia do really well. But we'll find that, like, for example, sustainable peak caps are really difficult to do. Really difficult to do. And um, Patagonia can do it because they probably have their own factory yes. making it, you know, yeah, way, and yeah. they, can, they can do it. Where we just, sit, at the moment, can't make us peak cap. Mm. We could if it was going to be um, any other, like, we just can't make it sustainable, you know? Yeah. So the reality for us is certain products... Leggings were really fighting hard to do. We would have loved to have done them a year ago. We, f we found someone who can do them now. But we're still not over the line with it. We yes. haven't launched it yet. So just even that, like, it's we're, it's meant to be here for October. But even that mightn't get there, you know. So 
or we might get the final sample and it might be right, you know, because it needs to have the grip and the lasting and all yeah. that type of thing. And, you know, um, basically you can't have more than, I think, 6% elastin in a product. Um, and most Lululemon and everything will have, like, <coughs> I don't know the exact composition, but will have high elastin. A lot more, yeah. Yeah, and, like, <laughs> you know, Lululemon are doing brilliant and, yeah. and people don't really give them any kind of, uh, uh, I don't know, there's no negativity about yeah. them. I'm not trying to even not here to give out of a new lemon. They did an amazing product. You know, my wife has has some of her leggings. They're oh, amazing. Yeah. <laughs> but the the reality is, it's really difficult to do it sustainably. And Connor, talk to us about going through all that heartache, but then you launch. What was the what was the feedback? What did the audience think? Oh, like, yeah. talk to us about yeah. like how it's going. So one one thing I have to say is people have been really kind to us. You know, okay. there was like I remember we launched with a friend of mine, a girl called Jody Woods. I don't know if you know her. Um. So Jody's got you know she's got a lot of followers on Instagram, and she did she launched it for she actually kind of she was really helpful really supportive met up for a couple of coffees and was just really sound just really kind about it and and she said look um let me know when you're launching we're launching on the twelfth the eighth of November um re I launched the the it was just me and another guy James Murray great guy my wife's brother actually he was really helped me out really bright guy really strategic thinker great moral compass as well which again helped to guide us in the right direction um really like questioned everything but in a good way so you know that meant that we were really looking at every angle and we launched actually and i'll give you a funny story so jody put it up which was brilliant that particular jumper st- started selling straight away it was and do a really you have the stock connor you actually have yeah, the physical we stock, the physical stock. Okay. we've actually shipped it then to go away for, to a fulfillment company because we've nowhere office okay. we know every we know nothing yeah. we've got our like a bedroom and um we didn't know how it was going to go and um, it starts moving really quickly that particular jumper she's got a great style about her she's a great look about her she, you know she's you know she's a really good looking girl and and, it's, and the stuff starts moving and then one person we had 3XL in lots of sizes we had 5XL in, in some sizes but what you find with certain manufacturers is certain products they'll only do up to a certain size and they won't okay. do them no matter what for any bigger or you need like massive minimum quantity orders and that's really difficult for people for mm. business especially because you don't even know if you're going to be last week we launched in november and you've got to put the cash up front and pay for yeah this product big to, time and we, and we could be gone by january you wow. know that way like wow. if we don't get off we don't like we don't sell them not moves like that's a gone you know wow. and i've been through a lot that year so i thought um um so we went to 3xl and lots of clothing 5xl and lots of the other clothing but then one product only went up to 2XL I think it was and one girl got on straight away online and was like you only do you don't do everything up to 5XL shame on you and lots of abuse okay so you're there going so you know since then we've ordered like lots of sizing and bigger sizing and um, the difficulty there is a a lot of the stuff just doesn't move you know yeah Um, and that one thing is sticking out in your mind that yeah, it's negative funny, thing, isn't it? Isn't yeah, it? yeah. Whereas all the positive, I know, and, I'm and sure the, people yeah. are loving the product. And, and you know what, Tom? We, yeah, we what we should probably do is put up because we've got some incredible feedback, especially from companies we've done talks and actually, and we should actually put the, all the positive comments on the wall because that is that is what I guess defines success for me in lots of ways. Um, when people say, "Look, you've really helped us," when you came into this, or, you know, we've done talks in schools as well. 
that what's what what defines a lot of success. Obviously, if the business isn't making turning over some type of revenue, you know, you can't keep going. Mm. But for me, when people those those comments really mean a lot, and we 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 do need to do some type of exercise in that. Yeah. And Connor, we could spend another hour on this, but you've a physical shop in Grafton Street now. You're doing pop ups. Just talk to us a little bit about some of the collabs and the oh, colors yeah. and what you're currently doing. Yeah. So one of the, one of the collaborations we've done was a children's collaboration recently with a really great guy called Adam King. I think he captured the nation's heart there with his virtual hug for you. Um, and we he his dad said, look, you got to come down to Marina Market in Cork. And I was reluctant, probably because of the family, mm. um, to go down. And we went down. It was brilliant. Mm. Absolutely brilliant. The people in Cork were, I mean, it's been the second biggest market for us. But wow. not only that, but it was just, the, the, there was, I think something special about Marina Market. I don't know if you've been, Tom, but it's it's a really cool space. There's nothing like it, in, I don't think, in the country. And that was incredible. Like, honestly, would I do Marina Market every weekend if I could. Okay. I probably would wow. do it, actually. That's just, you know, again, if you know, you know family commitments. Yeah. Because it's a great buzz down okay. there. Um, and that was great, meeting everyone. You know, it was like, it was yeah. two days. It was full on. It was two and a half days. It was full on. Like, we were exhausted at the end because we were telling everyone about our story yeah. and everything. But and Connor, would you notice from feet on the ground... Yeah. a difference or is it if you go to an influencer and put on this jumper oh, thing yeah. or do you go do you know what we were down in Cork we were feeding on the ground we were there for two days people know the brand had a conversation of telling people about it yeah that was it, was it was brilliant on the couple of days I'd say we got a bit of a, uh, a head off it but not, not nothing huge okay. I think we'd have to probably go down again I think certain people you know what, Tom? If I'm really honest with you, certain people have been amazing and like, and you're really like, really support. Like someone like Suzanne Jackson, really supportive. She was on Dancing with the Stars. She put on one of our tracks, or, or we call them co-word sets, um, joggers and matching hoodies. It's gonna cost me money. My wife's gonna be on to you now, Connor. I love that. She she was great. She was, you know, I know Sue for years. I would have like there's a lot of reciprocity of me looking after people in yeah. venues and restaurants and bars and clubs over the years. And Sue was brilliant, you know. And it's really nice when someone like that who's got a big following doesn't kind of forget about you. And and she was um, she was amazing. Um, so it, I, she was really kind, Sue and. And then there's one or two people you've really looked after the years and you've sent them out stuff and they haven't. And that's so disappointing. Like one person thing in particular, it's so disappointing because mm. you're there going, like I would have answered their call at 3, 4 a.m. all night times of the week, even when I was at home in bed, trying to get them into places. And for years we looked after, you know, this probably person comes into my head. But in general, the kindness has been incredible. Like the kindness, and you, and you do see certain... Like there's a, a girl called Emmy O'Donnell. She's stylist of the year. She put something up. She, she we we were a, we were she put us up on TV three, and that was brilliant. And she's super kind too. And again, there's a bit of reciprocity there. But she was su super kind. So we've definitely been fueled by kindness mm. of people. Like we've definitely been really, like people have been really saying. I think a lot of what we do, people, uh, you know, has touched people as well. Yeah, brilliant. And listen, I'm, I'm conscious of time here, so I'm gonna I'm gonna fire a couple of quick oh, yeah. things at you, but. Next six to twelve months, Human Collective. What's next for you guys? Um, we've actually got two big things we're working on. One is confirmed, but I actually can't say. Okay, they that's have to okay. Launch it. That's okay. Um, and then we're trying to work on a pretty different campaign. Campaign, our kind of next stage of okay. what we're trying to do on our journey. And we, is it more Ireland, UK, Europe, global? Um, is it like? Yeah. So London's been a good space for okay. us. We're probably still want to. Um, I think this next campaign, which is stronger messaging on our products, a stronger kind of t talks that we're doing. That will be a key indicator, and then there's a there's a big global supplier that we're talking to, Brilliant. and they've got 
that will probably make or break us, if I'm really honest wow. with you, because they've got... You're putting that on the line. Yeah, put a lot on the line there. It's an interesting one. I could tell you off air exactly who it is, cause, but it's still a long way to go with it. So, um, It's exciting. I, yeah, it's exciting, definitely. Yeah. And again, there's lots of learning, you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then actually off the record, not off the record, I'll say it again, there's, there's someone from the hospitality area who's approaching about something really exciting. Wow. Um, it's more of a consultancy-based role. And I would would have said no straight away, but this project is really exciting. I really like him as a person, and very difficult not to get involved right. in that one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's exciting. Yeah, so stay tuned. Anyway, yeah. um, last couple of things I, I try and fire at some of the guests, and I'm conscious I'm under time here. Is there a quote or a best piece of advice or something like a mantra that stands out to you? Um, Someone said you can't be all things to all people. That's probably right in terms of nailing who you, you know, nailing your market and nailing who you are. And um, uh, a friend of mine, I was down in Tip recently. A friend of mine, John Wall, said measure twice, cut once. I think that was <laughs> yeah. that was his uh, his dad's advice. Yeah. yeah, and just to double check everything, you know. And we really need to do that, especially with our stock and that type of stuff. So you got to kind of, you know, um, a bit like Murphy's Law and thing that can go yeah. wrong. Um, so I I probably like that. And then a really great friend of mine who's been really with me from day one. Donald Flynn's his name. He's a um solar entrepreneur. Um he 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 always talks about Marcus Aurelius and he says, um basically you can't be everywhere. So you can't be a bit like you all thing you can't be all things to all people. So I think the exact quote is um he was everywhere is nowhere. And yeah. and that's something that you have to be careful about. And even taking on this this hospitality consultancy, still have to be careful of that, yeah, you know. Very good. Um, if you could have a meal with any five people, here or not here, who would it be? Oh wow! Okay, so let me think quickly. Um, Alex Ferguson would be up there. Okay, nice, just, yeah. just I'm not even Man United Very. fan. I just like you know the hard work nice. that he's been through. Um, I won't pick Roy Keane because I've heard a lot of about him recently. But he, I'm a big fan of him, and he's talking. Um, probably another football person, Zinedine Zidane. Nice. Um, Rosa Parks, just to talk about like what gave her the strength to get up and say I'm not getting off this bus or right. I, and, and also to, to not give her a seat up to that white person um, probably always going to be interested in Nelson Mandela the ability to forgive you know is is, is pretty amazing especially yeah. when you've been through that like what gives you that 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 mindset to for, forgive you know that's that's an amazing thing that you can if you can accomplish that in any in any part of your life and what he'd been through 25 years incarcerated um, last person Oh, um, sorry, that's maybe five. Yeah, that's Rosa, five. You got, it, you got a five there. Yeah. You're, on, you're on the ball. Yeah. You're on the ball. Um, any book recommendations that have stood out to you over the years you like or you'd recommend to any listeners? Or um, Why We Sleep is a good book. I know yeah. it's about... Matthew you know, Walker. Yeah, yeah. yeah just about good. the importance of sleep because you see it when you have kids, when they've lacked their sleep, they become different people. Yeah. And I always thought the managers in a lot of nightclubs I worked in, a lot of them, there was always friction between you know us and the management, and they were just sleep deprived. Yeah. So they weren't. We had to get a baby sleep coach. Oh yeah, Robin. yeah. And now very popular. Some of the we're in front of corporates and we're talking about sleep and the importance, and we work with doctors that are sleep psychologists, and it's like you're trained this as a baby, but then you just oh let's watch ten episodes of Netflix yeah, and we're gonna be fine the yeah, next day. Yeah. It's mad how our habits big time go. big time. Yeah, um, I know, and I'm it's a weakness of mine, <clears throat> but it really does. <clears throat> Sorry, the first thing if someone was struggling in work, I'd probably say to them, "How's your sleep?" Because so that's always yeah. a great one. Um, 
and there's lots of like crowning the customer I liked as well yeah. I liked fo- customer focus things setting the table was a good one by yeah. that was all about restaurants in, in America um, yeah, yeah brilliant brilliant um, listen thank you so much for your time thank you it, it flew by and we went in areas I didn't know we were going to go to and it was lovely so much appreciated where can people stay connected with you and hear more about Human Collective? Uh, um, so on Instagram, uh, we are we are Human Collective, um, and we'll you know we talk a lot about our diversity inclusion, our pathway to sustainability. Um, we're in the shop in Stevens Green, which is great. Um, we're and gonna, Cork and some weekends. Uh, yeah, Cork there, yeah. exactly. We're going to be in another retail store for definite in Christmas Fantastic. time. I'll I'll be able to announce that at the end of the month. And uh, other than that, are we going to do any more pop ups? I'm not nothing that I can really confirm. Yeah, check out online though. Yeah, online, Brilliant. yeah. Yeah, com. Brilliant. Well, listen, Connor. Thanks. as I say, thanks again. Uh, pleasure. I wish you the best of luck in everything going forward. Thank you so much. Cheers, sir. Cheers, Tom. Thanks, bro.